This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Our teacher today is church elder Matt Johnson. Hey, uh, before we get started, church, I, I just want to pray with you. One of the chief things we can do uh, is just pray. Um, pray for God to be with us this morning. Pray for me as, uh, as we open up God's Word together. Um, Heavenly Father, God, we, we come before you. God, we come before you because we want to hear from you. God, we can talk uh, about our physical needs. God, we can talk about the suffering that we're going through in this life. But God, you know our greatest need is a spiritual one, God. We need the gospel. We need to be rescued, God, from our sin. God, we need to be rescued from the brokenness around us, God. God, I pray, Lord, that this morning as we As we dive into the gospel, as we dive into the book of Galatians, God, that you would give us fresh eyes. God, give us a fresh heart to see and savor the beauty of the gospel. God, that there is no other gospel. God, I pray that we would look to you, God. God, be with us this morning. So then we pray. In the beginning, God. He was perfect, holy, righteous, three in one, living in perfect community. And out of his love, he created all things. He created, he spoke the universe into existence. He created the stars, the moon, the planets. He created the the land and the sea on earth and all the animals and the fish and the birds of the air that lived on earth. And in the chief of his creation, he created man and woman. He created them to be his image on this earth to live and to reign and steward his creation. And he created it and he called it good. And he looked at man and he said, after that, it was all very good. And he created it because he was meant to be in harmony. We were meant to live in harmony, harmony with God, harmony with each other, and harmony with his creation. But in a garden full of yeses and one no, we rebelled. Satan, a fallen angel, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. And he was the craftiest of all the animals he came as to deceive and to tempt Adam and Eve. And they chose to distrust God's word and what God said was right and wrong. And they chose to define right and wrong for themselves. And the consequences, the consequences of their sin is that they were, they left the garden. They were separated from God. The harmony that existed was now broken. Separation from God, enmity between each other, enmity between God's creation. And they were left with a need. See, they knew that the brokenness that they saw and that we still see in the world today was in part to their rebellion. God, the Bible talks about this as sin. That we are in need of a rescuer from our sin. We're in need of rescue for someone to take the brokenness that is in the world around us and make things right again. That is the need that we have. And we cannot 
do it on ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. But God made a promise. God made a promise, even right there after the fall, that he would send a rescuer. He would send a rescuer that would make all things right. And that he would fix the brokenness. And chiefly, that he would save us and rescue us from our sin. And he ultimately kept that promise in Jesus on the cross as Jesus came as that rescuer to die, to take the punishment that our sin deserved. But it doesn't just stop there. He, he died and he was buried and he rose again, conquering the sin and the death. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And those that put their faith and trust in him can live forever with him and in peace with God. But even then, he's going to come again and he's going to make all things new where there won't be any more brokenness or sadness or sin. And even with all things made right, the best part about it all is that it ends and we'll spend forever with God. The tool, the, the thing I just went through with you, we're going to go through it at the end, is, is a short tool to just talk about what is the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, the story of who God is saying he is and how he displayed his love for us. See, the reason here at Ladysmith we go through books of the Bible is because we believe that God revealed himself in the scriptures and that scripture is our ultimate and sufficient authority for life and that he revealed himself in this story of scripture, the story that points to Jesus, points to the gospel. We also want you guys to see as we go through books of the Bible that what it looks like to dig and have a diet of God's word. Because as, as we dig into God's word on Sunday morning, as you guys take and go through uh, time with the Lord yourself, as you're in his word, what does it look like for me to chew on, to wrestle with scripture? And now as we, as we start the book of Galatians, as we go through it over the next four weeks, we won't be just you know, going through every single verse and every single word, although I wish we could, but we're going to hit the big themes of Galatians, and we're going to look through portions of the text and look at what does God's word have to say. But we, we find ourselves in this story of scripture between when God kept his promise in Jesus and this tension between there and when he's promising to come back and make all things new again. And, and in Galatians, we find that the, Paul is writing to them with some urgency about they have turned from the gospel that he preached to them. They're turning to some other form of the gospel, of, a gospel of works, and there's people that are trying to undermine Paul's authority in their life and, uh, as a teacher, as a messenger of God's word. As we kind of unpack, we're going to look at Galatians 1 this morning. So if you're, if you're looking in your Bibles, it's, if, it's kind of halfway through the New Testament. Uh, Corinthians is a big chunk of the New Testament. It's the first book right after Corinthians. If you uh, use your iPhone, you can, you can click and find it as well. But we're going to look through the first 10 verses this morning. We're going to look, and my big idea for you is, I'll throw it out uh, before we read it. The big idea for us this morning is pretty simple. Is that there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. There is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. And see, Paul, he's going to be writing, and you'll hear his tone this morning. He's writing urgently. Because, see, he's like a parent. Like, if, you're, if your child is running towards the street, 
is your first reaction to say, hey, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I, I just want to, you know, make sure you, you know, I, you know, I love you and, you know, I'm praying for you. No, your first reaction as a parent is to grab your kid and say, get out of the street. Or you're yelling at them, you say, get back in here because you know the consequences of where they're headed could potentially be fatal, right? Out of all the letters Paul writes to churches, even Corinthians, which was a jacked up church, he writes at the beginning, he, he intros the letter and then he thanks God for them, he's praying for them. In Galatians, he like intros the letter and he jumps right into how, like, how astonished he is at what's going on in the church at Galatia. Or the churches of Galatia. But see, we're going to talk about in Galatians how we're going to talk about things like freedom and joy and a transformed life that doesn't come through anything else, come through any other means, but through Christ. See, he realizes up front that if they're leaving the gospel, they're leaving or altering the gospel, that it's like a foundation of a house. If your foundation is jacked up, there's no point in trying to fix up the rest of the house. You have a fatal flaw and what is going on in your house. And he realizes that that is of first importance, and he needs to address it, correct it, and point them back to the gospel, the true gospel. See, uh, Galatians was also a book that, you know, when we went through our Here, I, Here We Stand series, Galatians was literally the book that drove Martin Luther to be so stubborn and so bullheaded and when the medieval church was adding all of these works and all of these things on the people, what it looked like to earn God's favor. And he's like, no, no, no. The, the book of Galatians talks about grace, that it's free, that it's something that we don't deserve. He called it his Katie Von Bura. Literally, that was the name of his wife. It was so, so dear to him because it talked about so clearly the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And see, as we read and as we break this down this morning, I want you guys to know how important it is that there is only one gospel. There is no other gospel. So let's read through the first 10 verses together and then we will uh, dive in. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed or eternally condemned. As we've said it before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. For I am now seeking the for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, the, the way I kind of broke this up is the first question we come to is, whose gospel is this? Whose gospel is this? 
See, Paul, he kind of lays out in the first verse that he's an apostle, right? He, an apostle is just one who is sent. He's one sent out on behalf of someone else carrying a message. But he's not just any, any messenger, right? He's a unique messenger with a unique message. God, Jesus himself set up the apostles to be the foundation of the church and help write the New Testament. They would be the ones that would help move and get the church established after he ascended. And Paul is trying to make clear, he says, not from, I'm not from man I'm, or through man, but I'm through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul wants to make clear to us right up front that his message, his the message he brings is not in any way coming from man or through man. It's not any way influenced by others, the worldly teaching. It's right uh, from God. And the authority he brings it with is authority is the way we should approach Scripture. When we read God's Word, we don't say, hey, uh, good, I'll, I'll, I'll read God's Word and I'll set it over here. If these are really the words of God, they're not, it's not man's message, it's not some you know, wisdom that people have conjured up, but this is literally God's Word, God's message for us. We sit under it, we soak in it, we want to savor it because it's literally the God of the universe trying to reveal himself to us. See, the gospel that we preach, the gospel we talk about, is not affected by man, it's not from man, it's not through man, but it's through Jesus only. And what a gospel it is. What a gospel it is. So if we keep reading, look at um, verse 3 through 5. He starts and he says, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace. See, that grace and peace, you'll see it a lot in Paul's writings because grace and peace are like, in essence, the, the summary of the gospel in two words. Like, it's like the cause and effect. God's grace and the effect is peace. If you want to find a simple way to teach yourself the gospel every day is to remember grace and peace. God's grace, and let's unpack that a little bit. God's grace means it's unmerited favor. Something you don't deserve. You don't you cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do on your own to deserve the grace and love of God. His love is free. His mercy is free. His salvation is free. See, grace by itself means it's something that you don't deserve, but it also means there are things in life that we do deserve. The Bible talks about it in Romans that the wages, something that you do earn, the wages of sin is death. See, like the rebellion that we all take part of. The wages, the, 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 the consequences of our sin is death that we rightly deserve. But the gift of God, Romans talks about, the gift of God is eternal life. Something you can't earn. You can't earn a gift. It's free. And this is something that Paul, like he soaked in. All, in all the New Testament, he uses the word grace a hundred times, nearly twice as many as any other New Testament writer. But the reason he's so fixated on it, and he's so urgent here in Galatians because it is indicative of his story. He grew up in a system. He was a chief Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, living in legalism and that earning his way and saying, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll earn favor with God. You'll, you'll be right with God. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not like that. It's grace. It's free. There's nothing you can do to earn this. We won't get to unpack his whole story, but if you read through 
uh, verses 11 through into chapter 2, you hear his story of where he was to where he ended up preaching the gospel. Of one, at one time, he went to try to squinch or squelch and put out to the point he was going to kill uh, followers of Christ. See, the book of Galatians is one of these books that for us as people, like, and I, I struggle with this too as, as part of my story. Is like, I, I want, give me the checklist. Give me the to-do list and God, like, I'll do it. All right, if I need to read my Bible once a day and that gets me, all right, give me the checklist. See, Galatians hits smack dab in, in our faces. I love this quote from a, a pastor down in Raleigh, a, a professor of mine. He says, Galatians is a great antidote for recovering Pharisees, legalists. It's a tiger that will eat up legalists, religious people who think Christianity is all about rules. See, we, we, we struggle with the fact that we want to earn, we want to do. Our pride drives us to build up a, of what we've accomplished and what our Christianity has brought us to. But the gospel of grace is literally the only, we think those things will bring us peace, but the gospel of grace is the only thing that will bring us peace. Peace with God, peace with man, peace with God's creation. See, grace and peace, cause and effect. He goes on to say that it was Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Here, in a, in a sentence, our chief need met. Our spiritual need met. See, we talked about rebellion and the consequences of sin, how we're separated from God. And our need is that we need a rescuer. Literally, Christ gave himself for our sins. See, ultimately, Christianity is about a rescue. It's about a rescue mission that God unleashes. And this present evil age that Paul writes about, it's not escapism. It's not, hey, I'm saving you out of the world. The present evil age is, this, is the brokenness, the sin, and saving us to a future hope of blessing and peace. See, look, God has called us to be salt and light. So when he says he saved us from the present evil age, he's saving us not to be removed from it, but to be salt and light in it. We're freed from it to go back into it. See, uh, one of the things that we have to remember, and I hope that you guys walk away with, is that when we talk about the gospel, what it does and what it means for us, is that in four little phrases, how to remind yourself is, the gospel saves us for, from sin, for God, into the church and onto God's mission. See, it saves us from sin. We're justified, right? We sometimes we stay, we, that's where we stay. We stay over here and we say, hey, I'm just, I'm freed from sin. But then we never move on. We, we leave the gospel behind of, of being saved from sin and we try to go on to something else. But God has, the gospel saves us from sin for God. Literally, the Bible, the theologians use the word sanctification. We never move on from the gospel. The gospel is what drives us and what grows us and what what we cling to as we walk with the Lord, that he's literally set us apart to walk with him, to know him. And he saves us into his church. The gospel saves us into the church, into community. We're not supposed to do this alone. We're not supposed to follow after him alone. Ultimately, too, because the gospel saves us into, onto God's mission. See, when he says he saved us out of the present evil age, 
His end goal is not to just, hey, I got you free from sin, and then go on and just ignore the world around you. But his goal is for us to be present until he makes all things new again, to be on mission in the world. In this world where there's tension between what has begun when Jesus initiated on the cross and what's coming one day. See, the gospel saves us from sin, for God, into the church, and on to God's mission. And he says, it's according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, God made a promise, right? From the beginning, Christ on the cross was always plan A. It was God's promised plan, and it's God's grace in our life. And you know who gets the glory? God does. You know why that's a good thing? Is that Paul is literally exclaiming, he's worshiping God because he realizes God getting the glory is for his joy. See, Christ came. We, God doesn't love us because Christ came. God always loved us and sent Christ to us, for us. And through it all, God gets the glory. You notice that thing I walked you through. In the beginning, it started with God, and in the end, it's forever with God. God is at the bookend of everything. It's all about his glory. And in the end, he made us to be image bearers in the beginning to literally spread his image through all of creation. And in the end, we're all going to be gathered around the throne worshiping him. The story, God's story is about him. Our story gets caught up in God's story. Looking into verse 6, the question we ask is, what, what's the matter? What's, what's the matter with what's going on in Galatians? What's the matter? What's going on with the people in Galatia? And he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Turning to a different gospel. Literally, he's like that agonizing parent. He's like, he's, he's, he's just planted these churches in, in this area not too long ago. And now so quickly after he's left and he's, they've clung to the gospel of grace, now so quickly after he's gone, they're turning to a different gospel. Imagine the heartache as a parent. You know, we, we, we invest in our children and we want to see them grow up in the Lord. And so often we see uh, our, you know, the common theme in the church is that kids graduate from high school, they go off to college and they leave their faith behind. And it breaks our heart. Right? It, break, it could break, break anyone's heart to see their child leave the faith they once held so dearly. But, and Paul is like that with the churches here in Galatia. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished. Later in, in Galatians in chapter 3, he literally says, what has bewitched you? And literally, a, maybe a paraphrase for that is like, my, my dear fools. Like He's like, what, why have you gone astray? Why have you deviated from the gospel? So he has this, this yearning and love for the people that he's talking to, the people that he's writing to. And the Galatians were deserting and turning. See, the terms Paul is using there to desert and turn, it's kind of like when you're in a war, if you're going to battle, and you, on the way to battle, you turn around and you start fighting for the other side. You desert the people you're with, and you turn around, and you're now you're fighting against you're, you're the friendlies. They're deserting, and notice it doesn't say they're deserting the gospel. They're deserting him who called them into the grace of Christ. See, one thing we need to take away is that when we leave the gospel, when we turn and we alter the gospel, 
We're not leaving. It's not like agree to disagree. It's no, we're, you're, you're leaving behind God and putting something else in his place. You're, you're, you're crafting a God in your own image to be what you want him to be. The Bible has a word for that. He call, they call it idolatry. When we alter the gospel, we present, like we, we, we idolize some other manufactured image of who God is or the God we want him to be. And they turn to a different gospel. See, the, it says, you turn to a different gospel, and it says, not that there is another one. See, two words Paul uses to kind of make his point clear, that they're, not only are they turning to something completely different, but there's nothing else that compares with it. See, two, words that you might remember, or a word you might recognize in Greek is heteros. It says different. We get, we get some of our words like heterosexual, right? It's completely different in nature. Alos is what he says for another, something that is uh, different but like in nature. Nature. So here he's saying is that they're, the thing they're turning to is something completely different. It's not even in resemblance of what the gospel is. It's completely different. And on top of that, it's not that there's anything else. There's no other gospel out there that is like the gospel. There's no other gospel out there that is like the gospel. And it's not even, you can't even call it gospel. See, as you think about it, even we'll talk about some of these false teachings and false teachers, but you can almost bubble up all of man-made religion, all of other religions into the differentiator between Christianity and everything else. Christianity is about divine accomplishment, what God has done. Everything else is about what man must do, what man must accomplish, what man must be. I, the, the illustration I, I love to the give for this is that, you know, it's seared in my mind is, if you think about it, is Christianity, it's, it's think of a mountaintop. God's at the top of the mountain. Christianity is the only religion that says God coming down the mountain, literally picking us up because we can't do it on our own and literally bringing us to the top of the mountain, bringing us to him. Everything else is what does, what do I have to do to climb, claw my way to the top of the mountain? And it leaves us burdened, like heavy, like we can't do it. It's like, even if it sounds enticing, it it sounds like it tickles our ears, but literally it's like a a huge weight that we cannot lift on our own to try to earn our way to God, to be something or to achieve righteousness before God or to, to make our way back to him. And he talks, he says, but there's some that trouble you and distort the gospel. These people that are literally teaching a different gospel. In, the, in, in Galatian context, these were known as the Judaizers, right? Uh, they're, they're, we, if you think of a good example, like what it's probably even tied to is when we jump back into the book of Acts this fall and we get into Acts 15, and there's this thing called the Jerusalem Council. They, these Judaizers popped up and they were saying, hey, in order for people to be saved, these Gentiles, they need to be circumcised. They need to do all these things in the law in order to be Christians or to be saved. And they basically like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's not, that's not the gospel. It's not Jesus and something else. Literally, the, the two things he says, they, they trouble you and they distort the gospel of Christ. See, when false teaching comes in into the church, or not, it's not even maybe pastor, other pastors that you might hear or th- teachers in the church. It might just be people in the, in the world. Everybody is teaching something. All the people that have platforms, they're teaching you something. Are you, 
Are they teaching you something that's in accordance with the gospel of Christ? Or are they teaching you something that is manufactured as the world, world's take on what it means to live in their gospel? And these false teachers were distorting the gospel, literally meaning to reverse the gospel. And they liken it as like, think of it as when Satan came into the garden, he is, it says he was the crafty of all the animals as he came as a serpent. Literally, that word crafty is literally wisdom turned in on itself. Turned inward on itself is literally to be reverse the gospel. Like to reverse what is wise, what is true, what is good, what is right and wrong. It makes it all about ourselves. And literally, if you think about it, there is, there, there is a, there's an order to the gospel. If you look at Ephesians 2, 8 uh, through 10, you can see, see, we, Jeff did a great job walking us through this not too long ago, but it starts... For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not for good works and then grace. It's grace, and then out of that grace, we live like God calls us to live. Out of that grace, there's an order to the gospel. When you see something reversed, where you see, hey, it's about you doing X, Y, and Z to earn God's favor, that is a false gospel. It's a false gospel. And we're going to talk about a little bit how we, there's, it's subtle, right? A theologian kind of wrote it like this. He said, uh, this is John Stott. He said, the devil disturbs the church as much by error as by evil. When he cannot entice Christian people into sin, he deceives them with false doctrine. See, Satan is the great distorter. And for us, we need to know the gospel. We need to know the gospel. We need to know God's word. We need to know the story that God is telling. So that when we, when we hear something, that we, we recognize what the difference between truth and what falsehood is. That's what Paul's heart for the church at Galatia is, is that they would, they would detect, they would know the gospel so well that they'd be able to detect false teaching and reject it and cling to the true gospel, the gospel. Thing is, is that for us, if, if we're honest, it's, it's not always easy to detect. It's not always easy to notice because, you know, it feeds into what we desire. It feeds in, we want, we want, you know, this kind of think of it as like, you know, in, in school, they have like a little chart with all the stars that you can get. I don't know about you, if you, you love, I love that thing growing up in school, like, well, if I do good, I get a gold star. If I do good, I get another gold star. If I do this, I turn on my homework, I get another gold star. There's a part of us as humans that we love the fact that we can, we can make much of ourselves. It builds up this pride in us, like, hey, I, I, I've got it figured out. I can earn my way. I can be a good person or I can accomplish something on my own. That was what happened in the Tower of Babel, right? They thought they could build their way to God. They thought they could be in God's face and say, look what all we can do. When we, sometimes we, we forget that it feeds into our, our sinful bent to want to uh, like feed our pride and feed what we can do and feed our accomplishment and not lean on what Christ can do. Think of, this, think of it like this. When you were in school and you got your yearbook, what was the first thing everyone did with their yearbook? You look for yourself. You look for the picture of yourself because you want to see where are you in this book? You think it's all about, all right, this is not just the story of like the, the, the school year. This is like, oh, hey, this is the story of me and where did all these people fit in around this story about me, right? This, it's, it's this nature of us. We, we, we're, we tend to want to be in on ourselves. 
And so when we sometimes we hear false teaching or we, 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 we see or, or hear things, we, it's, it's, sometimes it feeds into that. We, 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 we can't detect it. So there's two, there's two common distortions that I think in our context, similar, similar to Paul's context, that I think we need to be aware of. We need to be on guard, look out for. Places, these distortions is where we, we tend to put ourselves at the center of the story, right? We tend to see, like the yearbook, we tend to put ourselves in the midst of it and say, this is what we would do. This is how we would run it. This is what our gospel would look like. But let me tell you, these distortions, they, they, all they leave us is a heavy burden. They leave it with something that it may sound good, it may feed this desire in your heart to do or accomplish, but in the end, it leaves you broken. The first one is this, is legalism. To define legalism is this. We're working in our own power. This is similar to what I kind of said before. We sometimes say, all right, grace, we accept the gospel of grace and we're freed from sin, and then we leave that behind and we try to pursue peace on our own. Try to make it on our own. We, like, we see the, the commands of Scripture. We, we try to follow Jesus and we do it all on our own strength. Like, hey, I know I got to... I know I got to do these things. I got to come to church. I got to read my Bible every day. And it becomes just a, a tax that we know, like, hey, this, this is just what it means. I got to do these things. I got to accomplish. The grace part was good. It's just over here. It saved me from my sin. And I'm good. Good. And you're good, God. But all right, now I got to work to be a good person. Or we work according to our own rules. This is what the Judaizers would do. They'd say that we're going to add on to the gospel. We're going to add on to what's required. We'll, we'll say, hey, like you're, you can't be a Christian unless you, you, know, you do X, Y, and Z. You can't be a Christian unless you're here at church four times a month. You can't be a Christian unless you know, you're, you're in your Bible like 10 times a day. And I'm not, I'm, don't hear me, I'm not saying that those things, we, we shouldn't want to be in God's Word, we shouldn't want to be in church, but when we add to, or even things that aren't even in God's Word that are good to do, we say like, hey, if you're not at every single church event, or if you're not like, you know, if you don't wear these types of clothes or if you don't live a certain way or if you're not, you know, having this type of lifestyle that you are, like, as long as it's, it's not on top of or extra, it's like adding extra rules onto other people, onto yourself to say this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. Or we're working to earn God's favor. This is probably the biggest temptation for us, right? We know that as we... We follow after God. We know that like Jesus has called us to radical obedience, right? And I'm not going to detract from that. Some of the things that Jesus said are, we, we, if we read them in church today, we'd be like, oh, wow, Jesus said that? Like he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, well, I don't think we can do that. But what his, the point he's trying to make is that he does call us to radical obedience, but he, he goes to show just to that you can't do it. You can't be it on yourself. You can't be perfect. I was perfect for you. That's a constant reminder. But working to earn God's favor says, well, hey, like, not only do I know that these things I have to do, but if I, if I do enough, like, God will show me favor. God will love me more. The thing is that that's the biggest lie. There's nothing that God can do to love you less. There's nothing you can do that God will make God love you more. See, we'll, we'll believe that like our works, our good deeds, they somehow merit something from God. See, this is, this is really indicative of what, uh, like, first thing in the garden that happened. So we look in, 
what the first thing Adam and Eve did when after they sinned and they, they realized that they're naked. What do they do? They sew fig leaves together and they try to cover themselves up. And all through Scripture, you see different like little instances of God taught like these things about people being naked and covering up. And then there's a story of, uh, this, uh, of Jesus when he's going towards the temple in Matthew. And he, he's walking with his disciples and he's headed towards the temple and he's going to like bust the chops of some Pharisees, basically. And he walk, he, he's walking by this fig tree and he's like, curse you, oh, fig tree. So I was like, what? Like, what, what, like, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Literally, the, he sees from afar off that this, this fig tree, it looks green, right? It looks like it's alive. It looks like it's bearing, it should be bearing fruit if it's green, right? It means it's in season and things are growing on it. But as he gets closer, he realizes that the fig tree is barren. It's got green leaves on the outside. And it's giving like signs like it's alive, but it's not bearing any fruit. Then he walks right into the temple, and he's like literally challenging the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, who literally have built up this whole system of man-made religion around themselves to make them look like they got green leaves, but there's no fruit. There's no faith. There's no repentance. It's just man-made works and religion. See, Adam and Eve sowing those fig leaves, fig leaves together was man's first attempt to like do man-made religion, to try to fix themselves, to cover up the problem and the need they had. They couldn't fix it. The second, the second teaching is this, is prosperity. This is kind of like a, a morphed view, even of, of legalism, a morphed view of what does it look like for man to do it. I'll be honest, this is a burden in my heart. Because the number one export out of America to as far as like spreading the gospel is a false gospel. The prosperity gospel has spread so far throughout the world that it's like people in Africa are seeing this, this, this rampage because the basic premise of it is it says health and wealth are the products of your faith. If you have faith, you will get more. You will be healthy. You will get more money. You will, be, you will have a better life. And there's nothing more like crushing because of how contrary it goes to the true gospel of Christ. See, look, see, they'll emphasize things like gold over God. Whereas 1 Peter 3.18 talks about how literally the object of our salvation was to, Christ died to bring us to God. When you hear people emphasizing gold and wealth and health, over the things of, like, instead of God. Like, it's all about what you can get, not about who you get. It's something that's a false gospel. If they emphasize physical needs all the time over spiritual needs, and I'm not saying that physical needs, like, God doesn't care about them. He does care about physical needs and the hope. But when, when the teaching, the gospel you hear is all about physical needs, physical blessing, and it never addresses our true, our greatest spiritual need. See, like, Jesus was well accounted with suffering. I mean, he's talking to people that were following after him, the crowds that were following after him, and John, they're following him. He just feeds the 5,000, and all these people swarm after him. And he's like, you're following me because you want a sign. You want, you're valuing, you cherish the food. He says, don't cherish the food that, like, perishes, but cherish the food that lasts for eternity, talking about the gospel that literally it's your physical needs will 
come and go. That is just a beep, a bleep and a vapor of this life. But eternity is in our true spiritual need with God is really the essence of the gospel. If it emphasizes our present life over future glory. So see, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul's writing and he's talking about how jacked up life is, how broken, how like how much pain and suffering he's been going through, how much pain and suffering that we will go through. And you know what he says at it all? At the end of it all, he says, this light momentary affliction, he compares it to this light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits. Literally, we will go through so much suffering here in this life, but if our hope is just on fixing our problems now and not on the hope that we have for eternity, we are left with this weight of like, sometimes God doesn't, God doesn't guarantee that it will all be made right in this life, but he does guarantee that he's coming again and he will make it all new. That's why God gives us the story of Job, right? God's sovereign over even those worst circumstances. And Job doesn't even know why he goes through it all, right? But if we can trust God like Job did, we can trust God in our circumstances too. The other thing that the prosperity gospel will emphasize is man, man's glory over God's glory. See, you know, God rescues us. We talked about this. He, he saves us. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll see God's story and we'll read ourselves into God's story and we'll read the story of Scripture and we'll think it's all about us. A common example I love to talk to people is that you'll hear it. I guarantee you, you don't have to go far and you will hear a story about David and Goliath. And they will tell you that story is about you need to pick up your stones and beat the giants in your life. The story of David and Goliath is not about David beating some giant in his life, but it's about a great God who defeated the giant that they couldn't. Ultimately, it points to Jesus who defeated the sin and death that we could never defeat. The thing that the greatest need that we have, he's the one who could conquer it, not us. And we tend to read stories in scripture and we read ourselves in as the hero, like it's about us but it's about God and what he has done, not about what we can do. It's about God's glory. In Ephesians 1, one of the most beautiful, eloquent, like lays out the gospel in such a beautiful way in 3 through 14. It talks about all that salvation is. And in the end, you know what it ends with? It says, to the praise of his glory. Literally, the saving work that God does in our life is not to man's glory and like, hey, look, you're saved. I'm like, you're in the club. No, it's like, this is all God. This is what God has done. So you ask me, and we can ask Paul, like, why be so serious about this? Why be so serious about the gospel? Why do we need to, to cling and try to detect what is the true gospel, what, what is not the true gospel? See, you can tell Paul gets pretty, pretty uh, aggressive. He says, I'll read it again because it's just so bold. He repeats himself. He says, but even if we or an angel, even if he, he includes himself, even if I preach to you another gospel, even if anyone from this stage preaches something that's contrary to what the gospel of grace, gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, and if it's contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. PC, Paul knows what's at stake. My burden for you guys is that 
I know what's at stake. It's so easy to hear and to let the, the gospel, the, these, these things of the world, to infiltrate and leave us. See, the, Christ's glory is at stake. These other gospels, they, they lead us to elevate ourselves over God. Souls are at stake. People are literally walking around thinking that they're, they're good, that they're in right standing with God because they're trying to like, buy into this health and wealth or they're, they're trying to think that they can earn it on themselves and they're literally on their way, they're thinking they're good and on their way to hell. That's what drives uh, Paul to write with such urgency is because there's people that will sit in pews and they'll think they're good. They'll think they have it all figured out and they think they're on the right track and they'll be headed right to hell. The greatest thing we can do is to be clear on what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. See, for Paul, the gospel is a close-handed issue. Because if you lose the gospel, you can throw everything else out. If you lose the gospel, he's basically saying, I will die for the gospel. And he knew well because, see, the place where Paul had been, he had been trapped in the shackles of legalism. He had been trapped in the shackles of a man-made religion even to the point where he was going to go kill people because they didn't want to live by the rules that his man religion, that gave his Pharisees the power over people, the Lord over people to abide by these rules. He was trapped in that. And he talks about the freedom that comes through the grace of Christ, through the gospel that changed him. And now he stands and he's proclaiming that, hey, it's not about what I've done. It's about what Christ has done. And literally people are like astonished because this guy that was so murderous and so zealous for the Pharisees' beliefs of these man-made systems, that he's preaching against it, and he's preaching the gospel that once he tried to destroy. See, there's a lot at stake. So my heart for you is this. So as we, my big question for you is this. Is what gospel are you preaching to yourself? What gospel are you preaching to yourself? See, it's proven that you talk to yourself the most out of anyone. You are the number one person that's talking to you every day. And it's, so it's my burden that we know what the gospel is, know the story of the gospel, ways to remind ourselves every day. Think about the rhythms and habits in your life. How can we like, r- remind ourselves of the gospel? And if, if we don't, if, you, if you've never heard the gospel, if you've never said, hey, like, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking about grace. You're talking about peace with God and something that I can't do. I've been trying to make it on my own. Reminding ourselves what the gospel is. See, they, the reason we encourage ourselves to like, practice is that we, we need the gospel every day. We never move on from the gospel. Like our small group, we try to. Every week we, when we meet, we, we go through the gospel. That way we remind ourselves what it is that we preach, what it is that we gather on, what it is our hope. And I want to kind of give you... A, a, a tool we're going to walk through together, that tool I used at the beginning, just so it's something that you can remember. You might think it's hokey to do a kinesthetic device, and, but if you guys remember what the, gospel, the story of the gospel, I'm cool with how corny it looks. But believe me, it's something that you can take, you can use with your kids. You can use it and you're thinking about, hey, how would, I, how would I walk through the gospel, walk through the story with somebody else? And I don't have the Bible and they don't, they don't even know, uh, they know the story of Scripture. Because sometimes we'll, we'll throw out these propositions, these statements about what the gospel is, and we'll think, hey, uh, like people will like, hear them like, Jesus died for you. Cool. Like, 
how does what, how does that fit into a story? So, if you guys with me, we're gonna go through it. There's just like about nine or so of these these kinesthetic devices. We're gonna do it once or twice. All right. So it starts in the beginning. God. Do, all right. We're doing. So the whole point is to do the hand motions. We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. I guarantee it'll help you remember. In the beginning, God. All right. Creation. All right. Harmony. Right? Rebellion. Consequence. Need. Promise made. Promise kept. All things new. Forever with God. Notice how it begins and ends with God. Notice how creation is this way, because he's making all things, and then in the end, he's remaking all things. So let's do it one more time, all right? But you can, you can use those cues to remind yourselves of the truth of what it's talking about, but just for the sake of time. So, in the beginning, God. Creation. Harmony. Rebellion. Consequence. Need. Promise made. Promise kept. All things new, forever with God. Let's pray. God, you, God, you care about our greatest need. God, you have always had it in your plan that you would rescue and save sinners. God, I pray this morning God, that we would cling to you for our greatest need, that we wouldn't look towards empty things that don't deliver, our works, our accomplishments in this life, our health, and our wealth, the American dream. God, that we would cling to you. That literally you, you meet us where we are. God, that it's from your grace that you you sent your son, something that we don't deserve. God, we can never earn. God, so that we can have peace with you. God, I pray that those that are here that maybe are hearing this gospel of like, how, what does it look like? I've never heard it like that before. I've never heard this free gift. Maybe it's all tangled up with some mixture of trying to be a good person and trying to pursue some blessing and some favor with God all the time. God, I pray that they would, that you would open up their heart, that they might see, see you clearly for the first time, that they might see fresh eyes, this gospel that we never move on to. We can never get over this gospel of grace, Father. God, and that they would open their heart to you, God, that you would rescue them, God, that you would reach in and be take your rightful place on the throne of their hearts. God, we love you. God, I thank you that we can practice the gospel together as a group, as a community. God, we love you. In name we pray. Amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play.
You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to SpotswoodLS.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.